as they are collecting up the offering. Um, we have an opportunity today, uh, some of you may know this, that it is Sanctity Life Sunday. And so it becomes our opportunity um, as parts of the churches all across America uh, to recognize something that really is uh, very important and very valuable. I, I want to say this to prepare our thoughts um, because we are definitely living in a, in a time and in a climate where there is a lot of um, nervousness that exists both in, the, in, in our country and even in the church. Um, we don't want to unnecessarily provoke anybody or to make any sudden movements or gestures because we don't want to be misunderstood. We want to be um, appreciated and, and, and kind and gracious. And sometimes that can create a bit of a problem when the truth still also needs to be told. And so I get that we live in very complicated times. But in those complicated times, we do not balance grace and truth, but we recognize that the two of the, those two things, God's grace and God's truth, come together without any kind of um, disagreement or discord that exists between them. And so as a church, we have a responsibility to God first to speak the truth about life and to speak the truth about him being the author of life and the sustainer of life and the giver of life. And then we have a responsibility to speak about that, not worried about exactly how it's going to be perceived. Um, there is a responsibility that the church has always had. There's a lot of books that are coming out now, actually, that are describing the distinctive nature that the church has always had. And you may not know this, but the, the, the church began to grow quite a bit in the Roman Empire because of their unique and bizarre habits of protecting life that the Roman world considered to be not worthy of protecting. And the church stood up and said, well, we're not here for Rome. We're not even here actually for people as much as we are here as ambassadors of God to people. And so there's a lot of books right now that are just talking about the church's distinctiveness that has to happen. So I understand the temptation for us not to be misunderstood or for us to be somehow um, uh, outside of social norms. And then I'm reminded of Jesus, who was the perfect blending together of grace and truth. And we, we need to remember that. So I want to introduce to you um, Lori. Lori is uh, part of the Stillwater Life Services team program director, and uh, grateful for her. She was actually here last year. And uh, I'm going to ask you, Lori, to just share with us again. Why don't we put the house lights up now, actually? That might even be helpful so that Lori can see the wonderful Sunnybrook people. But why don't you share a little bit about what's going on at Stillwater Life Services? And as you're describing it, maybe our people can maybe find ways to know more about you and maybe even come alongside and serve, serve with you. Well, a lot of times people think about Stillwater Life Services as we just help babies. Um, that is a big part of what we do, but we also basically as a pregnancy resource center and other things that we do, and I'll explain that too, um, we actually offer free pregnancy tests. We do that um, to either verify or not verify the pregnancy of a young woman. Um, not all of our clients are single or engaged. Some of them are married. Um, a lot of times unplanned pregnancies happen. People need help. People need a listening ear. They need encouragement. And they need um, education. Um, one of the other things that we offer is called options counseling. And if you're not familiar with that, um, we basically sit down with a woman who has found out she's pregnant. 
panicked. Most of the time they are panicked. This is not part of their calendar. This is not part of their life. Completely and utterly unplanned. And so they are looking for somebody to help them and walk them through, talk with them and give them information because they're not getting the right information from friends and family. In that options counseling, um, we do give them all of the education about abortion. Um, A lot of times women make the decision to have an abortion because they are uneducated with what all that entails. So in the state of Oklahoma, as well as the United States, abortion is a legal option of choice for a woman. And we understand that whether we agree with it personally, biblically or not, we give them all of the information regarding their abortion options. Um, With that, we also give them their information about adoption and parenting through adoption. And we connect them with people um, that can help them. So we become a referral source for that. We are not an agency, so I cannot connect you with someone that is looking to adopt or needing to um, adopt their child with the family. But we do connect with adoption agencies and we have adoption specialists that can connect with these women. We also give them information about parenting. Many of them are told by friends and family that this is not anything they can do. So we love them and we encourage them. And along with that, many of the people in your congregation have helped in this area. We actually mentor these women um, that are having their first child single, alone, sometimes with no help, no family, no boyfriend, no fiance, no husband. And we have men and women that come alongside these young, impressionable people who are just searching and they mentor them through a pregnancy and through the first year of a child's life. And it's an amazing, amazing way to connect um, not only with your community, but with God. And it's um, just an amazing thing. And we thank you for those of you, I know several faces in here that are involved in that. Stillwater Life Services also is a full STI treatment and testing facility. So we do have a lab, we have a a nurse on staff. Um, And so that is a way that we reach the community in different areas. We try to kind of get ahead of that unplanned pregnancy and we are able to communicate and educate um, not just students that come in, but anybody that comes into that clinic. Um, A lot of times people think that this is only for teenagers and that's not true. We do, our average age is between 14 and 24. 14 sounds very, very young, um, but that is a very prime age right now. And so we currently um, see anybody that comes in the clinic, but that's our average age range. But we also do see women and men in their upper 20s, 30s, and 40s, where life just kind of takes them by surprise. Um, so you, list, you mentioned a number of different things, and it's even good to remember, this isn't just for something that the churches come together and offer for Stillwater, but a lot of your clients, a lot of the people that are coming to SLS that need help are from actually the church themselves. Um, so it's good to, to hear what she's describing and realizing, wow, I need help, or I know somebody else who needs help, um, and to make those connections happen. That's definitely one thing that we can do. Or you hear about some of the services that they provide, and you think, wow, I can, I'd love to know more about that, and I would love to connect and to assist. And Lori will be here after um, second service to, to help connect with you and maybe to answer either some of your questions or find a way in which you can be involved in, uh, in Stillwater Life Services. Uh, before we take up the offering, how can we pray specifically um, in 2017 for Stillwater Life Services? Prayer is huge. It's one of the things that you as believers can do where you don't even ever have to talk to me. You don't have to come to our office, but just know that 
We are 24-7, pretty much, around the clock, throughout the year, not just on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And so there are people that come into our office on a daily basis that we are counseling, we are praying with, we are offering ultrasounds, and we're connecting these women and these families with this life that has just appeared before them. And so if you could pray for those of us at Stillwater Life on a daily basis on the staff as we communicate um, properly and thoroughly with an open mind and open heart, non-judgmental, forgiving, um, and grace accepting and receiving that they are capable of that and capable that we are capable to communicate that properly. Um, and you can also pray how you can get involved. Involvement does not mean you have to see me all the time unless you totally want to. Um, but there are ways throughout the year. You can be involved once, you can be involved twice, you can be involved in one event, you can be involved in mentoring. So this is not a life sentence or a forever commitment. Um, you know, there's university students that have helped with um, focus groups, helping us kind of coordinate some events. And then we go on about the event. Many of you, I've recognized your faces, have helped with our color run in the fall. And so it's throughout the year, random things. However, God's gifted you in your area of service. You can pray about how you can utilize that through Stillwater Life Services. Okay. So... Uh, our servers are going to come forward. Uh, we're going to have an opportunity to give. And right now we're going to pray for that offering. We're going to pray for the ministry of SLS. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for the kindness that you have given us life made in your image and for your glory. I thank you for Niall and for Lori. Uh, I thank you for the rest of the team, that, um, the work and the dedication that they have given, Father, to you first and foremost. Father, I pray that there really would be, um, as Lori has described and that I know is true, a spirit of love and a spirit of truth. May they not shrink back from either of those. I pray that you would give them a boldness to stand up and to speak the truth always with grace. Uh, God, I pray that you would give them strength in their ministry. I can only imagine the number of times that they've had a really hard day. I pray for those who... Uh, maybe are right now hearing um, this prayer in this room, um, and that God, uh, not only the giving of our funds, but more than that, that the uh, continued interest that we have, um, directly or indirectly, uh, Father, that we would uh, plead on humanity's behalf to your divine truth and sovereign care. Um, it's in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen. Okay, as we get ready to jump into our text, and uh, kind of as the um, our offering is collected, a um, couple of quick things. Um, Andrea's not here, so I can't ask her to come up and, um, and and do this with me. I did first service; she didn't even show up when she was here. So, what's she going to do when she's not here? Um, but dancing was going on, by the way, in the White House. Kylie, I hear you're going to be helping this next Thursday. Is that correct? Give me a nod. Yeah, Kylie Vincent is actually going to be helping um, basically this past Thursday when I was learning to dance. So we've got this big event coming up, Valentine's event that's coming up on the 12th where there's going to be at the, at the fairgrounds. Um, if you want to watch me show my wife how to dance, it's going to be fun. And uh, so we've, Andrew and I really have enjoyed it. And last week at the, at the White House, um, there was just a lot of people there learning how to dance. And so it was really, really enjoyable. I hope that you'll consider coming to that event 
Um, this Thursday, Miss Kylie Vincent is going to be showing us how to line dance, which just sounds weird. Um, and if I wasn't going to be in Columbia, I would be there. But uh, it doesn't. If you want to learn how to line dance, okay, please come. It's still at the White House, right? At the White House, uh, located. That's that house we have on our property. If you want to learn how to line dance, six thirty on Thursday. Um, another thing that I want you guys to be aware of and praying for, um, I don't know if you heard about it, but there was kind of an interesting close to our first service. Um, a young man named Roy began to break down and uh, there's a lot going on in his life and we talked for a little while as we ran actually a little bit late and I want to actually pray for him right now. Um, there's just, it's like I said, just a lot going on. I'm going to be preaching about having open hearts and I don't know what God is doing specifically in Roy's, but I'm just going to give it to God. And uh, so if you would join with me praying for this young man, Roy. God, I thank you for his life. I had no idea what to do. I had no idea what to say. Um, Father, I just, I thank you for whatever that was that was in accordance with your will and purpose that God, as this text even reminds us today, it's not about saying the right thing in one moment. It is about a life of obedience. And I beg you, Father, to just continue to, press hard on his heart and on his mind and that God, he would find peace and that peace would only come through Jesus. I pray that this church would rise up and do what we do so well, which God is to offer that grace and peace to him. So Father, I pray that you would use us, change him for your glory. God's people said, amen, it's hard. Yeah, okay. Um, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 21, we're going to be looking beginning in verse 28, and we're going to be dealing with the question, the, the title of this message is helplessly hard-hearted, helplessly, not hopelessly, hopelessly hard-hearted would basically be saying, listen, our hearts are hard, our hearts really are opposed to God, they want nothing to do with God, and there's nothing that can be done about it. Now that's a sad state of affairs. But that's not the condition that we're in. We're not hopelessly, that would remove God from the equation, that would remove the work of Christ from the equation, but what we are is helpless, and that's difficult to admit. I'm helpless, I need someone to help me. I need Jesus Christ to intervene on my behalf. I remember being in ministry, it's, it's uh, for the kind of early in my, in my ministry time. Um, since then, it's, it's happened a number of times. We hear of someone in our congregation that is having a procedure to assess the amount of damage that is or is not happening in their heart. And so we go to the doctor's office and the doctor takes this tube and runs it up and it begins to explore the heart to find out, okay, why isn't it pumping right? Why isn't it happening? Why isn't it functioning properly? And basically they're usually looking for some kind of, of, of blockage that, is, that can explain why the heart's not functioning the way that it is. And I was in graduate school at the time and there was this farmer, 70-some-year-old man named Weldon Stevenson. And he knew how to plant corn and beans in Illinois. That's all they do, corn and beans. He had some cattle. He knew how to work hard. You know what I mean? He's a guy that just worked hard. And we went to the hospital with his wife and with his daughter to find out what was going on. He thought, ah, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. You know, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And I'm sitting there. I haven't really done this many times before. And so we're waiting for the news to come back. The doctor comes back. And the doctor says, we, we can find no blockage. We can find no reason why his heart's not responding. And, and, and I, was, I thought that was great news. I remember looking at Thelma and, um, and Heather, his wife and daughter, and they thought, oh, it's 
so glad it's not blockage. I could tell by the doctor's face that he wasn't as excited about the news. He said, that means it's heart disease and there is no cure. And his heart's doing the best that it can. It's functioning at about 60%. And there's no way that I can, I can't add a stint. I can't add something. I mean, it's just, it's just the way that it is. And there was just this helplessness. Can't do anything, doc? No. I mean, these things might help and they might prolong your life, but no, there's, there's really no reason why this isn't working other than there is a disease that exists in your heart that there's no cure for. And we just need to do the best that we can. And he did. He went home, did the best that he can, lived about another five years, and then went to be with Jesus, which is not a bad thing at all. He would tell you that. It's not a bad thing at all. But I have thought about that time and time and time again. And the older I get, you know, when I'm 35, I never think about it. When I'm 48, I'm thinking, wow, that's like me now. I need to be careful. I need to watch my heart. I need to watch what I eat. I need to exercise. I need to make sure that these things are okay because I, I want my heart to last as long as my body lasts, right? I don't want it to be the... And it's interesting how much Jesus loves to talk about this heart issue. He loves to describe the problem, and, and yet we have a hard time seeing it. So we have two parables today that are going to describe what a helplessly hard heart might look like, and the purpose of that is that as you see, sometimes it's good, I can watch, I watch somebody else go through it, and it's like, okay, I'm gonna make sure I eat better. I'm gonna make sure I exercise more than this guy did. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a better job than they did. And spiritually speaking, you and I have an opportunity to kind of peer into the life that the Pharisees are going through and Jesus' accusations, and we get to learn a little bit. We get to come alongside them and go, oh, I hope my heart, spiritually speaking, isn't like that. The first thing that we're actually going to see is that you can tell that you've got a heart problem if you are consistently saying one thing and then doing another. That's a heart problem. Saying one thing and then doing another. Verse 28 of Matthew 21. What do you think, Jesus says? Now, by the way, Jesus has already, if you remember last week, Jesus has already kind of left like this silence in the conversation. These religious people are pretending to care where they really don't. Jesus, they're asking Jesus, by what authority are you teaching? By what authority are you cleansing the temple? By what authority are you judging us? And Jesus says, well, if you really are asking, then explain this question to me or answer this question to me. John's baptism, where did it come from? And they don't want to answer. Their hearts are helplessly, outside of Christ, hard. And Jesus leaves them in their rebellion. Silence is deafening. He's really not done talking because there's more than just them there. And so now he's going to continue. He's not going to deal, he's not going to answer the authority question, but he is going to continue on and begin to expose, to unravel what is going on inside of them. What do you think, Jesus says? A man had two sons. And he went to the first son and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. Vineyard, again, is a, is a great picture, like a fig, a fig tree is a great picture of, uh, of Israel um, symbolically for his people. The prophets would talk about this vineyard, and, and, and the prophets were describing Israel, this place. Go out and this work in the vineyard today, and he answered the first son, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. He went to the other son and said the same, and he answered him, I will go, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did, notice the words here, which of the two did the will of the Father? You got it, right? You understand? Two sons. One says he would, doesn't. 
One says he uh, one, sa- one says he won't and does. One says he will and doesn't. Which one gets it right? And interestingly enough, the answer is not, no, both of them got it wrong. The real answer is to say it and then to do it. Well, that's really not the, what Jesus is giving us here. He's asking the question, which one did the will of the Father? And the answer is, if you look at it, the one who changed his mind and did. Great reminder, you've got to really be careful believing that everything that you say um, and, oh, I intended to do, I intended to, like those things in God's eyes really aren't what cut it, biblically speaking. We, will, we want to pass that off, like somehow that's okay with us. No, no, no. The one who did the will of the Father is the one who did the will of the Father. Not the one who said he would, but the one who actually did the will of the Father. That is the one. They know this, and the religious leaders, they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. And and here he brings up John. Remember the question that just had last week? For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. John was a way of repentance. John was a way of telling everyone, do you know there is room for you to change your mind and to change your heart and to be obedient to God? I'm not just talking to the most rebellious of you or the most broken of you. I'm actually talking to all of us, that all of us have that incredible gap that exists between God and us and the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ comes to us and says, God loves you and he cares for you. He wants you. Turn. Repent. Humble yourself. Break. Some of us get, uh, some of us get that and some of us don't. Tax collectors and prostitutes are getting into the kingdom before you. For John came in the way of righteousness. You did not believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw that, even when you saw tax collectors and prostitutes, the most broken, the most rebellious of, by the way, Jesus isn't saying it doesn't matter. He's saying, notice that in their brokenness, they knew how to respond. And even after you watched them respond and to receive the kingdom, it just made you matter. It just made you more determined. It just hardened your heart even more. You did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So one of the things that Jesus points out is that you can know. Literally, you can know that your heart is broken. You can know that your heart is headed in the wrong direction. You can know that God is not pleased with you. If your religious actions do not match your religious speech, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you what you did when you were 12. I'm not asking you what you did. Um, I'm not asking where you go to church. I'm asking you, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? That is so important. Moms and dads, ask your kids. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Young girl decides to follow Jesus Christ. I'm looking forward to young blue and seeing her as she gets older. Hey, are we still in? Remember that commitment you made on your birthday back when you were eight? Remember that? Are you still a follower of Jesus Christ? These are questions that we, that we ask and that we respond to, are they not? Because it's easy to say one thing. But what the, what, what the Bible teaches, what Jesus is calling us for, is a, is a life of obedience. Which one did what the Father requested? Not the one who said, anyone can say, anyone can make a vow, anyone can make a promise. It's easy, actually. But God honors what? Those who follow him. 
Bible makes it very clear about that. The, the next thing that we actually see in the next parable is not only that saying one thing and doing another is a sign of a really broken heart, but saying the right thing and then ignoring the implications of that. It, it's fascinating. And, and now, that I, now that I get older, it's becoming more and more me, is I know that these life choices that I'm making are not best for me physically. I have no idea how to change. Okay? I mean, it's easy for me to look at the guy who's, yeah, doctor says I should really stop doing this. He says it's not very healthy, but I don't think that's going to kill me, you know? And I'm going, dude, this is not a good idea, like health-wise. Like, this is not a good life choice. You realize, like, you could, and it's how it's affecting your heart and other, you realize how dangerous this is? Yeah, I know, just have a hard time stopping. And I'm looking at that going, that's just crazy. And then when I go to the doctor, he says, hey, you know you can lose some, you can lose some weight, right? You know that, right? Well, Doc, you know, it's just one of those things where I really kind of like cheeseburgers and blah, 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 right? Yeah, but you do know, right? I mean, I can look at somebody else and think, what is wrong with them? Why, why are they acting that way? Why are they choosing those things? And then when the spotlight turns on me, oh, this is awkward, right? We do the same thing religiously. Yeah, I know I should read my Bible more. Sadly enough, you probably don't know why. You just, you know that, but you don't know how or why that really fits into a life that is becoming more, ah, probably, you know, I probably should join one of those life groups, probably should do that, you know, probably should be involved in biblical community, you know, I probably should serve, I probably, you know, I probably should actually uh, give more, I probably should, but you're not going to do anything, I love to ask people now straight up, but you're not going to do anything about it, right? Like we're just here to kind of one moment of kind of, and we, we believe that that moment of realization is just good enough. Isn't it good enough that I know I should? And Jesus is saying, no, sometimes you can know the right answer and then be blind to the implications of what you just said. That is the sign of a helplessly hard heart. What I want to do is I want to take the mystique this morning. Hard-heartedness isn't just the most wicked and evil people that we would notably, uh, with our eyes, recognize in society. No. I mean, if I were to look at, like in Jesus' day, I would recognize maybe not tax collectors, but definitely like prostitutes and rebellious people. I would recognize them, and yeah, they're messed up. Then I would look at Pharisees and go, no, but these guys have it together. At least they're trying. At least they're trying. And Jesus comes in and he asks this question of religious people, yeah, but on whose terms are they trying? What Jesus does this morning is he comes in and he says, hey, by the way, like, are you here in a relationship with God but still on your terms? That's what he's asking you. Is this still about you? Is this still on your terms? And many religious people, one thing I've had to wrestle with is I can't be a Christian on my terms. I have to be a Christian on his. It's not about knowing the right answer and then ignoring the implications. Jesus says, verse 33, here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, built a tower. All these things are valuable for a vineyard. And then leased it to tenants and went away to another country. And when the season for the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit, which is what he was owed. It's his vineyard. 
And he's cared for it so much the prophets in the Old Testament would talk about Israel this way. Look at all that God has done. He's given us a vineyard. He's provided protection from a tower and 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 a wine press so that we can enjoy it. And he just wants his share of the fruit. So when the season comes new, due, he sends his servants to get his fruit. And the tenants take his servants and they beat one, killed another, stoned another. Again, he sent more servants than the first. And when they did the same to, and they did the same to them. Verse 30, 37, finally, notice the implications of this on Jesus' life. Finally, he sent his son saying to them, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said, hey, he's out of prophets. Hey, he's out of servants. This is the last one. If we kill this one, place is ours. And we can finally have a religious way of living without God messing it up with all of his expectations and rules. They said to themselves, verse 38, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. They took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, Jesus is asking them now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Do you realize how parallel this is to the life of Christ? So there is this vineyard that go, that's Israel. There were these servants that came, those would be the prophets. And the people who owned the vineyard, that'd be the religious leaders of Israel. They killed all the prophets. Yep, we're still lining up with you. And then his son came, the owner of the vineyard. His son, okay, God's the owner. His son, okay, that's you. That's what you claim to be. And he is playing this out every step of the way. A few verses before, when they're trapped, they won't even answer him. We're not going to tell you. They have the audacity to say to Jesus, and he says, hey, what do you think is going to happen when the the vineyard owner finally comes? Listen to what they said, verse 41. He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give them the fruit, give him the fruits in their season. Yeah, you, you nailed it. Like you got it perfectly. God's going to come back. He's going to take those who are the religious leaders at the time. He's going to kill them. And then he's going to give the vineyard to somebody else. Wow, that's intense. Doesn't that sound like a heart that is now finally getting it? Doesn't that sound like a heart that understands? These things are killing me. Yeah, I probably should stop eating. Right? Doesn't it sound like they get it? Jesus said to them, verse 42, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This is the... um, The way that Jesus is describing the ultimate plan of God, there is this stone and it will cause you to trip. It will cause you to stumble. Jesus is not just a really nice guy trying to get really mean people to become really nice guys and girls. That is so not what the church is about. The church following her savior, Jesus Christ, is about people who recognize God's ownership of the world and then respond faithfully to him every step of the way. 
who have hearts that respond to what the Spirit is doing, that know how helplessly hard-hearted they are and cling to Him, cling to Him for hope. Verse 45, this goes to show you You can know that it is wrong and you can know that it is bad and you can know that it is going to kill you. You can know, I meet people who deal with this religiously all the time. Yeah, I totally know what God wants me to do. I don't care. Yeah, I totally know that I'm going to hell, but you know what? I don't care. Verse 45, and when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were willing, although they were seeking to arrest him, see, see how that fits? We know you're talking about us. We actually believe that if there really is a landowner and he really does come back and you really are a son, we really know we're in trouble. I don't think they actually believe, I don't think they believe what they know. I think they believe that something is broken and I really think what they actually believe is if we can kill him and he really dies and he can't be God, which just shows you how far they are away from his plan. Be careful holding on to some kind of grudge with God or some, I hear this all the time, well, if God really is God, then he will. If God really is God, then he will. If Jesus really is, then he will. The way you're saying that, you really think you're the one in charge. And all that does is reveal a rather hard heart. They know it is right, but they continue to seek to arrest him for they feared the crowds because they knew him to be a prophet. They just didn't get it. Fast forward to today. And we're not the religious leaders. We're actually the ones with the vineyard. We've been given now a responsibility that we must bear its fruit, which really is a great way of describing us just being Um, completely responsive to the mission of God, living as the people of God, resembling him in a world that is lost and decaying, representing him to a world that needs to know that God is alive, loving and caring for one another. It is all of the basic daily things that you and I are called to do as God's ambassador to a world that he made and that he is redeeming to himself through Jesus Christ, his son. And yet we can quickly fall into some of the same traps that our predecessors did, believing that somehow saying what we really want and then not doing it, it really doesn't matter. I'd love for you to find for me in Scripture this idea that, hey, just saying something or just kind of going along with something for a little while really totally appeases the creator of the universe. Help me find that. What God requires and what Jesus wants are people who are willing and able and desiring to follow him and to respond constantly to what Jesus is doing. I don't like talking about the judgment of God. And you want to know one of the reasons why is because of the kind of the baggage that brings with it. So when I talk about judgment, most people back in the day, back in when I was growing up in the 80s, so you mean like the Soviet Union and the USSR and what God is doing with those godless communists? The end of the world, right? And then that disappeared in 1989. And so now it's, you know, radical Islam. And you mean what's happening right now around the world with Islam? And I'm going, you're still not getting it. When you think about the judgment of God, all you actually think about is the final judgment of God. 
But actually, that's not my greatest concern. So one of the reasons why I'm just, I guess, a little uh, intentional about how I use it is because I don't want you to just thinking about the judgment day of God. But actually, it's, I would say this, that God's judgment is actually very deceitfully close to us more than we realize. It's not just some impending day. I know what you're talking about, Jim, because I hear, but I had a friend and just out out of the blue, they died. So you're right, it's not about the final day. You don't know when your final day is. And so I know some Christian people or people that are worried about maybe a life and eternity without God, now they're just thinking about their death date. And that's what they're worried about. Gotta make sure I make a decision. Don't wanna walk out the doors. You don't know what's gonna happen, kid. You're hit by a bus. Actually, that's not my concern either. Now hear me, both of those matter. The end final day matters. Your death date matters. Those two are clearly up to him. I guess what I want to ask you about is, do you you recognize how deceitfully close judgment can actually come by the decisions that you are about to make right now? For the word of God has been spoken, and you will either respond to it, or you will, and I believe this is part of the judgment of God, or you will yet one more time delay or ignore his word. I would argue that you saying no to God is a sign of his judgment. Paul describes it this way in 1 Thessalonians, Romans, that somehow judgment is not just death and judgment isn't just hell. God's judgment comes because when, when, when good, um, gotta be careful with these terms, when responsive people recognize the spirit and humble themselves. And then when ambivalent or selfish or rebellious people, still sweet and kind, promise you, they decide, no, I'm gonna continue going in this direction. I don't think this will kill me. Judgment is deceitfully close. Paul says this in Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, from that flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. God's not going to be mocked. He rewards those who humbly seek him. To the worst of us to the most broken of us, to the most rebellious of us, when we turn to him, he is like a prodigal, prodigal God who is reckless with his grace. And he gives us to the full extent. Paul says in Romans 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. It's not just a future event. It is actually being revealed in all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's present. How do you know it's present? Because there are those in this room that after hearing God's word, not my words, but hearing God's word, they will in fact harden their hearts. Revelation chapter three, verse 20. Behold, Jesus says, speaking to the church, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. Some, some describe Jesus, they say this, Jesus is a gentleman, he comes and he knocks. By the way, that is told to Christian people. Not lost people, Christian people. 
Jesus comes to the door and he says, I'm going to knock. Are you going to respond? Responding to Jesus isn't just like we saw here, responding to Jesus. It's now that you've been hearing about heart issues and heart problems, are you still responding to Jesus? One of the most difficult, interesting funerals I did was a number of years ago where a a woman in the midst of her life, um, finally the sins of her life caught up with her and she died. She had two daughters and I was going to be doing the funeral and one of the things I love to say, even in difficult times with a troubled soul, is I love to ask, is there anything good that we can give thanks to God for in your mom's life? And these two daughters, not angry, not mad, but just sad, said, I can't think of one good thing my mother ever did for us. Oh, this is going to be interesting. You had the funeral here? What do you say at a funeral like that? I've always sworn that I would never just preach people into heaven. By the way, what I ultimately say doesn't matter. I told the story of a prodigal and wandered away from this wonderful, gracious God. And I left the end of the funeral message and then I said this, and some prodigals don't come home. They came up afterwards and they said, thank you for your honesty. I said, no, that's sobering, even for me. Some prodigals don't come home. Now, God's always gracious. I wanted them to see that even though she didn't come home, God, was, well, God would have accepted her if, he, if, she, if, if she did. If she would have humbled herself, if she would have just recognized her need for him, he would have taken her in deeply. But she decided to die in a faraway land in a pig pen. So how do I know, Jim? How do I know if my heart is hard or responsive? Well, it's easy. Not, not me, but as the word of God was spoken, did you, did you sense conviction? Are you responding to that conviction? That is actually the sign of a healthy heart. Not, not, just the, not just the feeling of it, but the response that is to come. By the way, right now, if you are ambivalent, if you are whatever, if you are coming up with excuses and reasons why you're going to stay in your sin, big or small, and that is a sign. And you need to hear the truth again of God's love for you in Jesus. And you need to turn and accept his incredible grace. Do you have ears to hear what God is saying to you? Let's pray. God, thank you for this time, for your kindness to us, for your mercy and for your grace. Father, I pray that we truly would be able to respond and your grace holds of that all together. Father, I pray that uh, truly we would be a church that would be good on your terms and therefore responsive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
As you all know, uh, this, uh, this Friday, we inaugurated a new president, President Donald Trump, um, to be the leader of our nation for the next four years. And uh, the, the Bible tells us three things. Actually, it probably tells us more than that. I want to point out at least three things that the Bible says to God's people about how we interact with our rulers and those that God has placed over us. The first is this, that we submit to them, and we obey them, and we honor them. We are called to do that. The second is this, that we do not place too much trust in them or all of our hopes in them, that we look to God for our hope and for our leading and for how we will live our lives. And then the third is that we pray for them. And so that's why, actually, this is kind of the practice at Sunnybrook, that every four years after an inauguration that we take a moment on the following Sunday to pray for our leadership and to pray for our nation, not necessarily for our nation to thrive, though I think it's okay to pray for that, but for God's kingdom and his church to thrive in the middle of whatever nation we find ourselves. And so I want to take a moment as we close out our service today to pray for our nation and to pray for our new president together as a church and to pray for the kingdom. So let's do that. Dear God in heaven, sovereign Lord, we trust you. Trust you to be in control, and I pray this first, that you would help us no matter matter where we find ourselves at whatever moment, good or bad, or how we might perceive it, that you would help us as a church to trust you more, to put all our hope in you. I pray, Lord, that you would give wisdom to our new President Trump, would lead him, that you would, Lord, surround him with men and women of great wisdom to help guiding in the direction of our country. Pray also, Lord, that you would enable your church to be a strong and true witness to the truth. I pray, Lord, that, um, that in a day and age and at a time when it seems like people only know how to argue and fight and clamor for power, that it's your people to be an example of love and reconciliation and of humility. And most of all, more than anything else, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I ask you this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You are dismissed, college students. We encourage you to come see us back in the hub right there off the gym. We'd love to talk to you about connecting more here at Sunnybrook.